Welcome to the Nate and Dorn podcast. We're professional videographers based in Vancouver, Canada, and we are here to talk about relevant topics within the video and media industry. I'm Nate, and I run Nate Dixon Media. And I am Doran, the videographer, solo entrepreneur offering video production services. And today we're going to talk about what tips and tricks we often use on our projects. Um, yeah, we haven't really talked about this in... We got all the way to episode 20. So let's talk about, like, what do you use when you're filming? What tips and tricks that improve your workflow, your quality, you know, that mm. make the process faster? Uh, filming, editing, uh, organizing stuff. Uh, let's talk about all of these. Um, so, Nate, why don't you start us off with one that, one technique, like a tip or trick that you use when you're filming something? Well, Darn, an often overlooked tip is to try and get a good night's sleep the day before you're filming. <laughs> that is something that I'm definitely guilty of not doing sometimes, staying up late the night before editing or just doing like podcasts. Doing podcasts late at, at night. 11 p.m., it's, yeah. Oh, it's just it's setting you off on the wrong foot from the start. So if you can avoid it, try and avoid staying up too late the night before and then drink a ton of water the day that you're filming you might need to go pee more often but when you're more hydrated it's just like everything on your body's firing on more cylinders your brain your mm -hmm. your muscles everything so you know mm -hmm. that's my first uh tip for you yeah 100 percent agree with that i've had uh filming days where the schedule was so tight and there were like no bathroom breaks for like three hours and yeah it's just brutal because you you choose to dehydrate and it's just it's a horrible feeling if it's a long project um one thing that i think is kind of overlooked or maybe a beginner wouldn't be too aware of is field of view so like if you're all the way zoomed out on your 20 on your kit lens at 24 millimeters you'll you'll get more wide of a field of view you'll see stuff more to the left and right from that viewpoint but if you zoom into like 70 millimeters or 75 whatever your lens goes to then you you obviously have to move the camera farther back to capture the same subject but everything's narrowed down so i feel like playing around with that and familiarizing yourself with those different looks at those different focal lengths um, can help you get a specific look for your project. So let's say for a very, um, very dramatic, like a documentary or an interview where we're really focused on the subject that's talking on the talent on screen, you might mm -hmm. want to, push the camera back and zoom in a little bit more to get that tighter shot, uh, the tighter field of view. But maybe you're filming someone that's giving like a uh, tour of a facility or something, then you might want to be wider at 24 mil so you can get them, but you can also get what they're pointing to and what they're referring to. Yeah, that is a really good tip, Doran. And you know what's kind of tied into that is depth of field. So typically, mm -hmm. yeah, you, the more you zoom in, the more depth of field you get naturally uh, from the optics. But that's also something that you can kind of control a bit and depending on the zoom level, the field of view. And you know, you might use it for the same sort of reasons. You might want to try and isolate that subject, blur out any distracting elements in the background. Maybe you you have to just quickly set up and you can't like stage the background. You might just want to crank that off, stop down, make sure that the talent's in focus and everything else you don't really have to worry about. Or if you're trying to include more in the scene, more like a real estate tour kind of video, like you're saying, you might wanna you know, shoot at a time of day when there's more natural light so that you can crank the f-stop up a bit, f-stop up a bit to keep everything more in focus. That way you don't need to worry about people coming to and from the camera, to and from the uh, lens. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can get everything in focus you don't need to worry about pulling focus or anything like that yeah actually um it's slipping my mind right now but there's a move there's a few movies that employ this technique that you're talking about it's actually like a very cool cinematic 
technique of their, uh, like you see the subject in the frame, the talent, and they just receive like dramatic news or something happens. And they start off the shot at like F22. Like you can see everything. It looks very like um, kind of like, um, you know, found footage camcorder, or, like phone footage or whatever. Um, but then instead of doing like a dolly or a zoom shot, they instead just like flip the aperture all the way up, which is confusing because it's, it goes to a lower number, but basically, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So they'll yeah. go down to F 1.8 and it, the blur, the, the depth of field will come into the same shot. Are you, have you seen that technique? No. Oh, there's a, uh, there's a name for it. I, I can't remember, but there's a few movies like recently in the last like three, four years that have employed it. And uh, I remember watching like a, a YouTube bit on it and I was like, yeah, that's really clever. Mm. I remember even seeing uh, Philip Bloom. Uh, he, he made um, a video playing around with it and he made reference to those vid- uh, movies too. Mm. Um, so, yeah. That's that's actually really cool. Uh, it would be really hard to do on, I think, by yourself. Like, you need to have, like... Because you have to compensate for exposure and all that stuff because of the aperture change. Yeah. So you need, like, a dedicated film crew that everyone's, like, doing this thing on a camera. But on a more basic level, <laughs> like you said, yeah, depth of field uh, for a simple shot could be... A very artistic, purposeful choice. Yes. Another tip uh, with filming is if you're filming somebody who's not like a professional actor or actress, which can happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've noticed is if they're getting a little bit nervous, or they, you can just sense their their nervousness, or they're they're having trouble reading the teleprompter. If you've got a teleprompter, mm-hmm. um, one thing that can kind of help relax them is you just kind of back away maybe kind of hide behind the camera mm-hmm. and you just kind of look only at the screen or look off to the side. And <laughs> what that, that can kind of do is make the person a little less nervous. They don't feel that mm-hmm. pair of eyes on them. You know, if you can kind of just hide yourself behind the tripod, that's what I like to do. And I just kind mm-hmm. of look away or I can still like look up and see the screen and um, yeah, just kind of, relax yourself have relaxed body language don't be like anxiously leaning forward like yeah. staring shaking at them, your you know? head like oh great throwing up your looking hands. at the time like oh <laughs> it's over <laughs> yeah and that can really help relax people and uh, i've been mm-hmm. told by a few clients that they're like oh you just really make made me feel really relaxed and that helped me kind of bring out my best performance and i'm not a professional by any means and i was like oh that's great that's what that's my goal. You know, the product, the, the video turns out better and they feel better filming it. And it's not like a traumatic experience where you're like, action, go take two, take three. And you're just like, that could really turn yeah. them off from working with you. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I have had uh, a few though that because it's just them and this inanimate object that's staring at them, they like lock up and Sometimes you just gotta like switch it to an interview style. Like, okay, look off camera, and we'll, we'll let's get a person in here that you can have eye contact with that'll make you uh, mm. respond in a natural way. So sometimes teleprompter just doesn't work. It's uh, you know different personalities, different um, ways of conveying the message. Um, but yeah, definitely that's a good one to to keep in mind. They're stressed about being filmed. Maybe they've never been filmed before. Yeah, I haven't know given. Of. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> given much thought on how to relax them. Um, mm. So maybe I should think about that more. Yeah, good tip, Nate. Um, I think then off filming wise, one tip that I think I learned all the way from BCIT when we did the media. Ooh. A video course more footage is better so like if you have four hours to film the thing and you have a shot list and you got all your shots in in like three hours you know what just 
get get a second take, get a different angle, like film a little bit more if you have the time for it in the space on your card. Because who knows in editing, uh, in post, or maybe your, your client changes their mind or says like, oh, this looks really cool. I wish we like, uh, I wish we would have positioned it differently. Like, oh, actually, I got it from that angle, from that side that you want, you know. Hmm. So yeah, especially with B-roll, more B-roll the better. Oh yeah, because I've had yeah. a few projects where literally because I spent that, I had the, I had the extra time to get the extra footage, and I did get the extra footage. The client ended up using it for the next project, and they were very thankful for that. Like, oh, that was a one-time event, and the, the extra footage you have, we can do a second edit, like one once was for a highlight video of what happened at the event and then the extra b-roll they used for uh the promo video of next year's event mm. for example so more footage nice. in in my books is always better there's overdoing it obviously um and yeah that could be a problem <laughs> with <laughs> Don't take storage. the same angle 10 times and yeah. 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 If you Depending if you're yeah. if you're constantly filling up your cards with stuff you're not going to use, then you know. I mean, if you have the money and the time to copy it and back it all up and sort through it, you do you, right? <laughs> um, what about video editing, Nate? Give me a tip or a trick that you use for mm. editing. Okay. Um for series of videos where I want a clip to look and sound the same as one from the previous week, for example. Uh, one thing I like to do is, you know, I have both the sequences open. I will copy the clip from last week and in the new sequence, I will highlight the clip that I want it to match and I will paste just the attributes. So this is for Premiere Pro. Um, the hotkey for Windows is Control-Alt-V or Command-Option-V, I guess, would be for Mac. Mm -hmm. Or you can just right-click, paste attributes, and then you can choose what type of attributes you want to paste. But basically, everything in the effects panel, any motion resizing you did, obviously, mm -hmm. color correction, sound effects, or that kind of stuff, uh, instead of having to copy and paste them one by one or copying an adjustment layer, sometimes that can clutter your layers, that's just something I like to do. And then I can copy and paste that from that new sequence to other clips there fairly quickly. Uh, that's something that I like to do that, you know, sometimes when I'm teaching a new video editor, that's something that they're like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. So <laughs> that's one of so my little tips. Do you, do you, um, did you say you just highlight the clip and copy it? Like yeah, Control-C? You control C, you copy like normal. Oh. But then when you're pasting, you just hold the modifier key and then oh. that paste just the attributes. Man, okay. That's see, that's something I didn't even know. That's a good tip, Nate. I'll definitely use that because for for audio especially, I would like, yeah, go into the effects panel and like manually like shift click all of them or control click whichever it is. But the order in which you click them on is like the reverse order that they're gonna get pasted on. So like I if I want my denoise first and then my second effect, I need that order properly. So mm -hmm. this sounds like is uh, your tips a more hassle-free way of doing that. Cool. Yeah, bro. <laughs> what do you got um, for me, Dorn? Um. Well, have you? Okay, have you heard of pancake <laughs> timelines? Mm, no, I like waffle timelines better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> waffle and chicken timelines. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Wait, have you had waffle and chicken? Yes. Yeah. Is there is there a place in, in Vancouver that does it? I, I had know. it in the States. My wife made it for me, and I was like, this is amazing. I didn't like it. Really? It's huh. it's like dessert with, like, meat. Like, I don't know. I can't eat them the same. When I went to hmm. L.A., I, I ate... Uh, waffle and pancakes because everyone was like oh this is famous here and they had like a huge poster of Obama when he went there and ate there like oh mm. this is the place and yeah. I was just like I can't I don't want to feel both of these at the same time 
I'm going <laughs> to eat my chicken first, and then I'm going to have dessert with the mm. waffle. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. coming back to pancake timelines. <laughs> These are not <laughs> <Well>. edible. <laughs> Side note, that's me with like bacon and chocolate. Anything that's like bacon on a chocolate donut or like bacon flavored chocolate ice cream, all that kind of stuff. No, just give me just bacon and just ice cream. So I'm like that with you. Yeah. You are with chicken. I'm with bacon. Yeah, I'd probably be the same. Because like I know Red Robins mm. has a promotion that they put a bacon in everything, including the milkshakes. I'm like <laughs> shaking yeah, no. my head at your milkshake. No. Yeah. Um, I've actually not used pancake timeline but i saw a video i think last year of someone explaining how to do it but so basically in premiere instead of like putting your raw footage in one sequence cutting highlights of it um like the you know the juicy stuff the stuff that you're actually going to use mm. you, you'd copy it then you'd go to your other timeline or sequence and paste it in there and you'd like tab between them or like click between them you can actually drag each sequence and make it its own window and they can like layer like like a pancake stack you would need a lot of screen real estate to do this but basically this mm. th this will just speed up everything and it will make it a bit if you're more of a visual um organized person like how how your workflow is then that works there i kind of don't really do that because what i do is i kind of color label like, mm -hmm. let's say from a B-roll, I'll color, I'll pick a specific color, and I'm like, okay, this color means this is an outdoor shot. This color means it's an indoor shot. This color means there's people in the shot. This color means people are laughing. This is like, oh, use this at, at the end, you know? Okay, wow. Yeah. Lots of different colors. Yeah, or if, if, if I'm filming, you know, multiple people doing like a meet the team type of vid video, then each person per each color could represent a person right mm. and that's just easier for me like oh i need one more b-roll clip to do a transition to this person and i just look like for the color like okay do, how many more clips do i have with this one because maybe i filmed some in the beginning of the day and some at the end right so instead of like scrolling and looking through all of them, <clears> the color is just like oh red's right there mm -hmm. yeah i think i use colors but not to the same degree that you do um, and I think my alternate alternate for the pancake timeline is using bins in Premiere because um, mm. with your project panel, you know, you can have your different bins, but then I set it to the view where it's the thumbnail view. And that way, after you've added a clip to a sequence, it shows the little icon that it's been used. So, or the pancake timeline, it'd be nice if you drag that clip to your main one and then you drag you're dragging it out of that pancake sequence so you know you're not using a duplicate clip so it's nice because you can just like drag and drop but my workaround for that is i just use bins and then i can see which clips i've used and which clips have not been used yet and i just set the hmm. in and out points in the project panel so i'm just dragging the part of the clip that i already want i see oh, so yeah. mm -hmm. that's just my different way of doing it yeah and isn't that wonderful about software? There's multiple ways to do something. <laughs> yes. That is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. For video editing, I can't think of any, like, tips and tricks that aren't, like, very obvious or basic. So I'm kind of, like, trying to think of, like, uh -huh. ones that are, like, like, from the people that I know that are video editors that they don't typically clue in on using. Um, what I found sometimes is I'll, I use a gaming mouse. Mm -hmm. This one doesn't have too many extra buttons, just like a few on the side there. And, uh, that middle one is like a DPI switcher right there. Um, and then the color changes. So if, if I want to use different sensitivities, oh, your autofocus works great. <laughs> Mine wants to stick on my face. Um, well, yours work good with the bottle <clears throat> you were showing earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of gaming mice come with um, software you can program macros and shortcut keys, mm -hmm. and that can be really handy for, I'll, for example, I'll select the back button on the side, and I'll program that to Control-K for cut, so that as I'm dragging along and I want to cut a clip, I'll just like, instead of that, instead of holding Control and then K on the keyboard, which isn't the closest keybind or mm -hmm. easiest hotkey, 
Um, so I usually select the back to control K and then, you, you know, the more buttons you have, the more customizability you have. And that way that you can do a lot of things with just one hand instead of um, both hands, or you can keep that other hand free for, you know, JKL shuttling. Um, so uh, that's another mm -hmm. tip. If, if you're on a MacBook or something and you don't like the multi-touch touchpad, you know, maybe try a gaming mouse and that can be more precise, more physical tactile clicking. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes mm -hmm. you can change your scroll speed a lot easier and that can help. That's helped me edit faster than just with a two button mouse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and actually, um, I just thought of another one because I saw someone comment on uh, the freelancer um, Facebook group. Um, and I've, I've encountered this problem a few times and when you're new, you might not know how to deal with it. So like Premiere deals with frames, not milliseconds. So sometimes lining up audio to match perfectly to the millisecond is like hard to do because you can scoot the thing like one frame forward or one frame back, which is mm -hmm. depending on your project settings, one twenty-fourth of a second, but maybe you need something even more precise than that. Um, at that point, just take the two music or the two audio layers that you, you're having a hard time matching and use an audio editing and just import it as a separate um, audio track after you've like matched them to the millisecond. Mm -hmm. I've had to do that a few times, especially with a uh, multi-camera identical two cameras but for whatever reason because you know you're pressing record on them at two different times and for some reason the audio if you try and match to the frame it sounds like robotic it has that split second delay mm -hmm. and if it's like a two-person interview and you don't want to constantly like mute one channel while the other one's talking go and unmute the other one because that takes forever you just want to put them both on at the same time, um, yeah, go and do an audio edit to match the two. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've encountered that, so that. Yeah. No, luckily mine have matched up close enough that it doesn't sound mm -hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's something short, I'll do the manual, like, okay, you're off while this guy's talking, so I don't hear you sniffing and coughing and adjusting <laughs> your thing, yeah. Yeah. But sometimes they're it's so interactive that like oh just leave it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um what about gear? Organizing your gear. Do you do anything uh special there? Well, Doran, I always keep the lens cap on my camera. And I While always filming? keep the back cap <laughs> when I'm organizing my gear. When I'm okay. filming, Doran, we went over those tips. Yes. Yeah, that would be a tip. Take the lens cap off before you set your exposure. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> You're at ISO 200,000. Why isn't it showing up? I still can't see it. <laughs> you know, put everything back in its spot. Don't leave anything loose. That way it won't so get chopped you have? Do you have a dedicated, like, rack or drawer or um, storage uh, backpack that you keep everything in? Like, does everything have its own place? Or like, eh, let's see where we can fit the camera in the backpack today. No, I, I've just used the dividers in the backpack to keep everything in the same spot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then if like, for example, two lenses need to fit in the same one, one of them luckily has like a case that can go around it so they're not going to scratch and rub against each other when I'm mm. jostling around my backpack, running around, you know. Yeah. Um, so. You always running, running and gunning. Yeah, run a gun, that's me. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't really have any hacks for packing other than have a spot for everything and mm -hmm. keep it in that spot. What about you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've learn that organizing especially the more gear you get the harder it is to remember like where did i put this thing <laughs> i need it i need it for tomorrow's filming and it's like 10 p.m and you want to go to sleep and then you're like i thought it was going to take me five minutes to organize 
um, but I can't find the microphone. So I've learned to organize stuff and I have like drawers and dividers for everything. Like this is the camera equipment drawer. This is the audio drawer. This is the external monitor drawer. This is the battery drawer. Um, but lately um, it's gotten to the point where I kind of have these storage totes that I wheel like dolly in. Um, and I've had a few projects where said wheel dolly i just imagine like gabby gabby and like a little uh from toy story 4 that creepy doll who's getting like pulled along in a wagon <laughs> you know i pull my dolly <laughs> yeah yeah something like that yeah <laughs> no if you're talking about like those big rubbermaid containers that's like the yeah storage right? totes and yeah, okay. like i just stack them on a um moving uh hand truck dolly right that you would use to move furniture <laughs> hand truck <laughs> like the flintstones use their feed but my truck i use my hand it's a hand truck gotcha because <laughs> oh i've noticed in a few projects recently that um if i had that extra cable or that extra microphone or that extra like more gear than i thought i would need and mm. i brought it with me it's awesome because i like get to impress the client with how prepared i am i'm like oh i, I just didn't want to take everything out of the box so i just brought the whole box with me with all the cables because sure. uh that's easier for me at this point because of all the stuff that i have in in the storage box but it's like oh do you have a second microphone like i actually do this was not part of the original agreement but guess what i do have it Nice. So it can save your butt sometimes, help you mm -hmm. react in the moment. The only downside is you're lugging everything that you potentially might only use like a quarter of. Yeah. So, yeah. So unless it's a very small project where I know I just need the tripod and camera and laugh mic and that's it, then I'll just bring that. Um, but if it's like, if I, if a client like, for example, if I don't need a teleprompter, but I'm not too sure if the client's going to be able to mm. deliver the lines, it's better to have the teleprompter with you. And if they're like, oh, man, we have to reschedule another day, like, no, how about how about you take your script and email it to me and I'll put in the teleprompter in 10 minutes? Boom. Yeah. Yep. It's good to bring for sure. Uh, what about organizing footage? I remember uh, working together, you would be the go-to uh, organizer guy for that. Oh, yes. I actually really enjoy copying and organizing footage in folders and uh, on servers and stuff like that. I really enjoy that. Um, mm -hmm. I know not everybody does, so it's a you know, nice little treat for me sometimes. So like when give, give give us an example, a, a tip of how how would you best manage? You just are got done filming something for the day, you're about to copy, you know, dump the cards, as we say. What what does that look like? What's the best way to do it, Nate? Well, it can depend on your workflow, but the way I like to do it <clears throat> is actually rename the clips while they're on the card with, you know, whatever I just filmed, and the date and then like an index at the end. So like Windows and Mac will automatically add that at the end for you. Um, so you then it's just one, two, three, four, et cetera. So you don't have to worry about renaming each clip its own individual number at the end. So both operating systems will do that for you. Um, but for example, I'll do like Doran BTS Mod Ridge 0604 2021 and then the index would add automatically when I'm renaming all of them. And so I'll rename them all so that they're an individual file name so that they cannot get confused for any other clip on my SSD or my backup. Then I will copy it all to my working drive. And if my card has enough space, I will actually keep those clips. I'll just drag them into like a backup folder and then just have a copy living on the SD card until I actually need that space. Oh. So if, if I have a 128 gig card, but I just only film like three to five gigs of stuff, mm -hmm. I'll just keep it on the card as an extra backup because you never know, you know, if my house gets flooded or something, you know, my yeah. 
hard drive gets thrown out the window. <laughs> I don't those, know what my kids those, are going to do. Yeah, those kids. <laughs> so so you're not one of those, um, like, okay, I copied it at format. No, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I remember doing that at our previous workplace. <laughs> yep. Although our but server, I think, was... got backed up fairly often. Yeah, but actually now I'm recalling we did that because the camera would sometimes have an issue formatting it. Yeah. Yeah, so we would format it so that the camera would function properly, but with like those are those are with big CF cards and yeah, a specific true. camcorder. With SD cards, I haven't had an issue with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. no, I Me hardly either. ever format a card. Yeah. I, I do um I do leave stuff on the SD card. Um I don't go through naming all the stuff. Like I'll I'll properly name and do a, a huge hierarchy of folders. Um like okay, each folder has their camera number and maybe even the shot, like okay, camera one wide shot, a groom or something, you know? Uh and They'll be in a project folder that's part of the client name folder. And also the project folder should have a date because I've had clients that are like, remember that recording we did in May? And I'm like, my folder's just called your company name. And now uh, we have a second shoot. So I start, I need to put names. But if you do yeah. that after the edit, um, you screw over your linking. You have to relink media. Yep. And you don't want to trust necessarily that date on the clip itself because it might oh, yeah. change that. You know, your camera might have had the wrong time and date. So, yeah, you want to mm-hmm. rely, reliably name that so you can look it up for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do with uh, gear also is uh, batteries. I have all my AA batteries in a little uh, soft um, case with like foam inserts, like foam cutouts, I mean, to uh, insert the batteries. So like after everything's charged, I put them with like the positive side up. And if I just changed out a battery on the shoot, I'll like take the fresh ones and the used ones, I'll put them upside down. So with the negative up so that I know to not take them by accident. If I have a shoot the next day and I didn't have a chance to charge. Right, and you're talking rechargeable double A's because regular double A's, they're just right. Not. Rechargeable, yeah. correct. Thank you. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and I I I know a couple of people, a couple of videographers do that with SD cards. Like they'll keep the footage on there, and if they didn't get a chance to copy it and back it up, and next day they already have another shoot. Um, or it's the same client. It's just day two. They'll put the SD card wherever the storage thing they put a little case or a little pouch they'll put that like with the text facing away so you you know usually you put it mm-hmm. so that you can read like okay i need two 128s not the 264s yeah if it's like flipped and you can't read it like okay that one hasn't been copied yet don't touch it <laughs> yeah those are that's really handy for those like clamshell cases that open up like that and then yeah the foam inserts so you can just wedge them in there and they're gonna they won't go anywhere yeah i i haven't really had to deal with giant multi-cam multi-card shoots so i don't really have Mm. to do that but other places i've worked for that's been a common practice so definitely a good tip yeah i haven't had to deal with that either um what i do and i do not recommend this as a tip this is just something that i do (laughs) oh i'm not gonna listen then yeah um is I like after I copy the footage, I'll leave the SD card on my desktop. And if I have enough SD cards in my storage um, pouch thing, then I'll just use those. And when I see the pouch getting low, that's when I'm like, okay, time to format everything on that's on my desk and put it back in the pouch. Okay. So it's like a rotation kind of a thing. Yeah. But what if one of my SD cards fails or falls uh, in whatever I can't access it or I don't know, you know, it's, it's not the best way. It's just how I'm doing it, but I will admit it's not the best way. Mm. 
it, it, uh, it doesn't quite match up with your bring everything mantra. Exactly. Exactly. And you're not bringing all your cards. Yeah. Yeah. Just leave them on the disc. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. It just it just feels good. <laughs> Feels good. when you do it and then when you're out shooting you're like man <laughs> these cards better work today <laughs> please oh man um sorry I'm just reading the doc <laughs> to see where we're at um I don't know I think that's it for me for our organizing gear um you got anything else or what do you want to talk about next um why don't we talk a little bit about more about audio sure. recording audio yeah, there, you're better at audio than me yeah uh, i wouldn't say I'm oh you meant oh you meant recording i i meant the, uh editing audio you're you're the uh audition guy but recording mm-hmm. audio um you know what again coming back to the thing where i bring like if i know i need the one mic I bring a second one as a backup. Oh yeah, I guess that's a general tip that a lot of videographers say, but a lot of them don't do it, especially for budget reasons. Have a backup for everything. Oh, like yeah. if you have if you have one mirrorless camera, they suggest buy a second one and bring it with you in case your first one breaks. And I guess it's one of those things like until it happens to you, you're like, I'm not going to do it until you get screwed over once um, because your gear failed. Um, but I kind of had that with microphones. I didn't have a microphone fail on me. I just had the client like not realize that like oh this other thing that we need to capture is all the way there and it's we're here and it's not going to sound good and i'm just like i'll take this zoom h1 right here and i'll just place it next to that and i'll put it in post and it's going to work it doesn't have to record straight on the camera i can do magic in editing like ooh. so yeah syncing by waveform or audio yeah. super handy yeah, yeah. Remember when you and, used to have to have like a third party plugin for that? For synchronizing audio? Yeah. Clips and audio. Think, I don't think I've ever used a third party to to do that. Uh, like like yeah, you're talking about not a multicam where I can use video to synchronize, but different audio clips, right? Yeah, or audio and a video. I, I would I would always do it manually. Uh well, back in the day, you could pay a fee and have that functionality, and it would like spit out an XML sequence that you could then import with the audio and oh. stuff synced. Yeah, I forget what it was called now. Multi something, something to do with eyes. Anyways, and then Premiere built it in natively, so you don't need that anymore. Oh, that's cool. But, but yeah, now like recording different audio sources of the same thing, it's like such a breeze to sync now. So that's really nice. Mm hmm. And Doran, before you tell any more stories, um, <laughs> there was once a shoot for a company that I worked for where I was not present, and they had three different cameras, and the idea was to have an audio source for each. You know, it's always good to have a backup. So they'd have a shotgun microphone, a little handheld Zoom microphone, and then like the audio source from the main audio board. It was like at an event in a gym hooked up to the camera and they were mm-hmm. rushed. You know, everything was running late. So things weren't checked properly. And even the backup audio, the battery ran out and nobody checked it. So all they had was the crappy scratch audio from a camera that was like 30 feet away from everything happening. And you could barely even understand it. So <laughs> this company had to try and wow. listen to what the announcer was saying. And they actually re-recorded it with their own voices so that you could even hear what was happening on stage. And it was a painstaking process. So they learned the hard way there. Always check your backups too, for audio especially. Because hmm. wow. you know, video, you can see visually what's happening, but you might not be listening closely to see if the audio is correct so that Mm -hmm. was a a mistake that they definitely paid the price for wow 
If you don't mind me asking, why why was why were you not able to be present, or like was it were you supposed to be there, or is no, it just a client just... that it's like, well, we'll manage and maybe you you'll do the edit. It was a scheduling thing where I had already had forty hours of work set for that week, but it was such a busy week they had to have other teams going to different places at the same time. So, yeah, I just didn't get scheduled for that shoot. So. Maybe mm. if I was there, they I would have caught it. But yeah, it's something that's really critical is having a backup audio and checking it. Mm-hmm. Wow. I hope I never run into that situation because <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. Yep, <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, weddings are interesting for recording audio. So a few tips I would suggest there is let's say the groom doesn't want to have a lav mic on him because it shows up in the pictures or whatever um you can try and put the lav on the efficient um but i had once where they said okay you may now kiss the bride and then they walked off which was amazing usually they just stand there and look at them and they show up in the video awkwardly because it's like the couple but then you see the efficient behind there like yeah kiss her go <laughs> and they show yeah. up in the pictures but a few a few really uh, mindful um professionals would step out problem is this person stepped out and the audio followed with them and they were mumbling stuff like oh they're so adorable together or something like that and i'm like <laughs> well gotta cut out the audio and put the music back up uh. <laughs> And it's a shame because people were cheering on, but you could still hear mm. the fishing going like, oh, bless their souls. Like, no, I don't want to hear that. Get fake cheering off of the <laughs> internet. <laughs> overlay it. You didn't just cheer yourself in your room and like, or outside no. and overlay it? <laughs> yeah, try and do different pitch. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I've started doing now is I have a couple of extra like Zoom H1s that I will strategically place and hide. Like, let's say if they have, I'll try and hide it in the decorations. Like if they have a huge archway that mm. uh, where they're the, um, you know, the ceremony is happening at, I'll like hide it in between the flowers there, make sure that it's not visible to my camera. If other people see it, I don't care. Um, obviously I'll double check with the bride and groom like hey is it okay if I hide this here there's this little black fluffy thing that's poking out of these roses but it's not going to show up in the video they're like yeah that's fine and uh, yeah a couple of times uh, I've used that instead of a lav and it worked out pretty good because I knew exact placements like okay this is going to happen here there's going to be someone playing the piano all the way there like okay put a put a microphone there uh, instead of like getting it with a shotgun from like 50 feet away. Mm -hmm. So yeah, having extra mics and strategically placing them so that they're not in the shot, but you're as close as possible to the action. That is something that I've definitely picked up and love doing. That's awesome. And as long as you don't forget to take them at the end, you have to quickly move on to yeah. reception or something. You got to make sure you remember to grab them from the flowers. True. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do that many weddings, maybe three or four a year, but um, yeah, especially with COVID now, things are just so quick. Like the two weddings uh, this year were like half hour. Oh, wow. That's quick. Yeah. yeah. Ah, pays way less, but it still pays. So yeah, for a half hour, I'll come and look at you, do your vows and film you and charge you for it. <laughs> business nice. is business. And during the but, business... Yeah. yeah, but in a non-wedding scenario like in an interview scenario here's another tip um when you're placing the mic on them and you're about to start filming and you're like okay good the batteries is working mics on let's do an audio check and i just ask him like what do you have for breakfast or how was the, tr the drive here or something and they'll like respond in their normal talking voice and um, I'll maybe try and say a joke to make them laugh, but if I'm not able to do that, <laughs> let's say their response to me, I've put the level at negative six. When they start presenting, they go way louder. They go into their performance voice because mm -hmm. they think they're in, th in front of a thousand people. 
on stage or they crack a joke and they start laughing because it's part of their spiel and that's way louder than normal talking and guess what i have like peaking clipping audio so then i've made it i've learned the hard way like okay when i do an audio test let's bring it at least 6 db down i'd rather like raise it in post and noise reduce than have something unrecoverable yep definitely a good tip yeah, whenever you try and get someone to read a sample or whatever, they're never as loud as they actually are when you're filming. Yeah. It's very true. It's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, oh, another um, something I usually use if there's like a monotonous or droning noise or like a more consistent background noise, um, I'll always capture a sample noise print. Mm, yeah so you know for five or ten seconds i just get everybody to be dead quiet but everything else is the same so Mm. that i can just get the background noise and then that's easier to isolate in post in adobe audition or whatever you can just like highlight that region of the audio and capture noise print and then apply that noise reduction to everything instead of trying Mm. to find a pause where they're they might be taking a breath or something like that after the fact which is what i do (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot easier to just be able to select a bigger chunk of something you did intentionally for production. That's cool. Yeah, that that's really good to do. I've I've become lazy with that. I used to hunt for like, I need a three second pause where they're not scratching or making other <laughs> un un like it's noise, but it's not the background noise. I don't mm. want any active noise on background Mm. noise and sometimes you don't find it and then i had to resort to like okay well let's just see what premiere can do by itself and premiere's come a a long way with their automatic filters um noise removal so i've just become lazy and i just use that because it it always seems to work good and it doesn't give the Mm. um kind of the glitchy artifact kind of sound if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. where the noise is gone but part part of their voice is gone too and you can tell something's wrong that's how it used to be back in the old days like five six years ago um probably both of those technologies have improved now and i can probably confidently do that but the convenience of an automatic filter that i think yeah premieres is called adaptive noise reduction okay so i don't even need to set a level for it Hmm. like for the noise floor it just auto detects adaptive noise reduction yeah i think that's what it's called okay um so yeah i've just (laughs) your your methods the more professional one (laughs) i'm using the the shortcut (laughs) in a pinch that can work great like you say Mm -hmm. uh any other audio tricks there dorn um Oh yeah, um, I use a built-in plugin, uh, part of default Premiere called Hard Limiter. It's like a sort of a compressor, basically. Like, let's say you have someone that's like talking at a certain level, like let's say negative eighteen dB, and then when they crack the joke or get really passionate about making their point, then they get really loud, like negative six dB or whatever. Um. With hard limiter, you just set, okay, I don't want it to be louder than negative 6, but I want to boost everything by 12 dB. So I want to keep everything around negative 6, negative 8. So it'll do that for you. It'll it'll set a ceiling and you can raise your floor. And it's just a more consistent experience. I actually use that for music, which hmm. I don't think a lot of people do. Like, let's say you have a voiceover and you want to duck down the music so it's not as loud as your voiceover. If the music's intense and then it naturally mellows out, because you've ducked it down, you're not even going to hear the mellowed out part. So I'll, mm-hmm. like, use a hard limiter on music instead of, like, ducking music down 12 dB. I'll just set the max, the ceiling negative whatever i want it and everything else can stay where it is 
Gotcha. Or if it needs to be raised, I raise it. And that has made mm-hmm. product video sound so much better. Because the music's mm-hmm. like at a constant level. Yeah, which if you're trying to mix it with audio and stuff, then that's ideal. If you're just listening to music, then obviously you might want some dynamics just on mm-hmm. its own. But in this context, that uh, that consistency is what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because nice. it, it's it's weird. I'm not a very audio technical person, but basically, it, there's a there's a difference between decibel levels and projection power. So, like, you can have two different types of sounds be the same noise or volume, the same decibels, but one is going to sound way louder than the other one to the human ear because of whatever projection and how we pick up sound. We got to get an audio expert on this podcast, Darren, to school us on this. Yeah, yeah, we we gotta, yeah, we gotta diversify. We gotta get a photographer. We gotta get a sound mixer person. Um, yeah, we'll do that, Nate. I'll I'll find someone. All right, and you I'll look for someone. Them. Yeah. All right, together we will find someone to tell us. We'll make this podcast continue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, anything else with audio, Doran? Uh, not that I can think of, no. Okay. Uh, one tip that just popped into my mind when you're shooting is use your waveform monitor. So that's more for like exposure, right? So mm-hmm. it is better then zebra levels which is another common feature in a camera for monitoring you know you can set your zebra to show up at 70 or 90 percent or whatever but that only tells you which parts of your image are getting too bright it doesn't actually tell you which parts like where the blacks might be getting crushed so using the waveform Mm -hmm. monitor you can tell the entire picture of your scene's exposure not just the the limits and so that way you can aim for maybe say 70% uh, luminosity on skin tones, which is usually a sweet spot for a lot of cameras, uh, for a lot of skin tones. And it's available on a lot of video cameras or external monitors if you use those, of course. Mm-hmm. So that might be old news to more seasoned videographers, but instead of just relying on your screen, which might have different brightness, or just saying, oh, that looks okay. You know, you really want to nail the exposure so that you have the most flexibility in post and it looks the best out of the camera. I don't know if you've had this problem with the a7 III. I've had this screw me over once. I wasn't using an external monitor and it was an outdoor shoot. And the LCD looked properly exposed to me and I didn't use a zebra and I didn't use anything because I'm like, yeah, I'll eyeball it. Everything was overexposed. Yes, I have had that actually. Definitely. I don't know why. And I'm I it was so bizarre because I was reviewing clips with my client. Like after filming, he'd be like, Okay, all right, how did that look? And I'd show him on camera and he's like, Oh, that looks great. And then when I sent him the footage, he's like, It's a tad too bright. Can you bring it down? I'm like, actually I tried, but no. And we were both like, but I saw it on the camera. I'm like, it's it's so I had to like tell him like I just got this camera this is stupid I didn't know this is an issue with it I'm sorry and offered him a, a reshoot for free mm. to, to to salvage the project um, and they were very yeah. happy about it and they actually uh, stayed as a repeat client that's um, good actually I'm going to have something with them next month so that's good oh. yeah Ooh. wow proving it i'm not just saying repeat we got something in the works <laughs> next month it must be legit oh. yeah i've definitely had that where i looked at just the lcd and it looked properly exposed but then watching it back on the computer i'm like oh that's brighter than i expected so yeah yeah because my yeah. The, your other fear is like oh it looks too dark um and I just thought of another audio editing. Tell me if you do this. Um, let's say you have multiple takes of someone giving, you know, delivering a line. 
and you have to splice like half of version one with half of version five. Mm-hmm. But their tone kind of sounds different or there's something a bit off. So like instead of cutting right where the problem was, I try and find the overlap um, on uh, um, what's the word in uh, English? Semblance? Semblance? Like when you make a sound. Oh, sibilance. Sibilance. Yeah. Okay, thank you. That's <laughs> sound, yeah. Yeah. So if the word was fast, I'll, I'll cut the first clip to where he says fast. And then from this other take where he finishes st, and the S, that, that sound makes it for a perfect transition point every time. Oh, interesting. I've never you done have, that before. You, you have to apply a one frame audio fade. Otherwise, it's going to sound sh like a sharp. Like it's a... And the other one's like... It sounds different. Yeah, it's it, exactly like that is going to sound. Okay. But if you do a, like a one or two frame audio fade, mm. flawless. Mm. Um, and yeah, I've I've had to do that multiple times. I usually try and get the client if they like messed up something. I'm like, okay, redo the sentence before that sentence too. Mm. Yeah, give them a bit of lead in time. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, because that'll help them get back in the tone. Because mm -hmm. if they redo right from the word that they messed up, uh, they'll do it different because maybe they just yeah. laughed about it and then like yeah. they're right. still smiling and like it doesn't yeah. work as a cut. So that's that's a huge um, audio one that I just like thought of myself when trying to like desperately salvage something. And I noticed like, oh, on, on the sound, it's so easy to just like oh, fade yeah. ha like mid word. Yeah. So the more S sounds in the script, the easier it is to edit multiple takes together. If I had to, yes. Audio-wise, yes. And assuming you had two camera angles, you could bounce around between them if they're not too often doing the cuts. Like, if a cut's happening every 10 seconds, it might be a bit too often. Mm. But gotcha. um, depending on the type of video. Okay. I'll have to try that next time. I need to combine multiple takes like that. Mm -hmm. Same thing with uh, music, actually. If the client's like, ooh, I love this track, like I send them, here's audio blocks, I use audio blocks, here's find the music that you like from here and I'll edit it. Uh, and our clip is, our highlight video is one minute, but they pick a three minute song and they're like, I love the beginning and the end of it. I don't like the middle part or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, then I'll find where I'll try and match it to the beat if the instruments don't sound vastly different, but if, if I'm combining like, uh, like what's the instrument? Like, uh, when you do a crash symbol symbol, when you do a symbol crash, um, to like mellow out and then they do it again to shoot back up in intensity yeah. in the song i try and match those because those are like again it's that sh mm -hmm. sound and it just like works <laughs> i'm just imagining they have like a piano ballad and it's like la -di -da -di -da, and then doran adds a cymbal crash to blend them together no i don't add it if it's there <laughs> i know but like it's just works for songs that have cymbal crashes It'd just be funny if you like use that as a transition. Point oh, that's just an example. Everything. If you find a sound that sounds good when you fade it, like one frame in into two clips, like a beat doesn't really work that way. But a kind of like a louder snare could work too. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, but and if that doesn't happen, then I would have to match tempo of the melody, which is again at that point you can't adjust by frames you have to adjust by milliseconds so might as well take it in audacity or audition or something hmm. yeah 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 good extra tip there well those are all the tips i can think of right now that's a lot of tips i think that's good we'll leave it there um and to mess with everyone's brain at the end here let's keep up the malifor of the day 
Um, today's Malfour, or this week's Malfour, is sticks and rolling stones may break my bones, but words cannot gather moss. <laughs> oh boy. We're gonna Can have you to identify like... <laughs> the two that I've mixed there, Nate? Yeah, if the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, and a rolling stone gathers no moss. There you go, Nate. Yeah. Soon we're going to have to do Romanian malafors, and then it's really going to go over my head. Oh, dude, I completely forgot that I'm Romanian. I got to think of Romanian ones and troll my Romanian friends. <laughs> Holy cow, you're right, Nate. There you oh, go. Romanian stuff is already so like weird and metaphorical. Yeah. Oh man, I'm not gonna be able to sleep now. I have to think of <laughs> Romanian Malfour's name. No. Uh, anyway, the trains make a noise, so it's time for me to wrap up the podcast. Yeah, gotta hitchhike on the train. Yeah. Um. So thank you very much for watching and listening to today's podcast. Hopefully, some of these tips and tricks are uh, relevant and useful for your type of projects that you're working on please leave a comment um or send us a message about you know tips and tricks that you use uh in your projects and maybe future topics that you want us to talk about and future guest types that you want us to invite we've already mentioned like we want to get a photographer we already had a marketing person uh that was victor episode mm. i don't know five <laughs> Yeah, I think five. So, sounds about right. Um, we got to get a photographer and a sound person, uh, maybe even a movie director or like an indie film director. Hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Be sure to subscribe to not miss an episode of the Nate and Doran podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. This has been Nate and Doran. Thank you for watching and listening.